Good morning and welcome to today's Daily Word and Prayer. I'm Tom Short, glad to have you along with me today. This is April 1st, so I'm not going to pull an April Fool's joke on you today. I thought about it and I figured I just don't know how that would, uh, any of the ideas I had, how they would work over YouTube. So I'm not going to do that, but I uh, affectionately have called this day for many years something I got from Ray Comfort. We call this National Atheist Day, April 1st. It says in Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so today we call this National Atheist Day. But more importantly, we're going to talk today about uh, the, the night that changed the world, the most significant night in history. Have you ever stopped and think what nights, what days are really significant? course, as Christians, we'd, you know, right at the top of the list, you think of things like the incarnation, the day God, when God became human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ. You think of obviously the death on Calvary, which we'll talk about tomorrow, Good Friday. And obviously you think of the resurrection. I mean, these, have, these are really big, big days in history. And then you think of other things that maybe secular days that were big when the world changed. But I'd like to suggest that maybe this day that we're, this night we're going to talk about this morning might have been the day that changed everything, might have been the most significant change day in the history of the world. Why would I say that? Well, you know, in the Jewish days, it starts, the day starts at sundown. So actually it's night before day. And so um, what we're talking about here, the day we'll be celebrating is sundown Thursday night. What happened during that time? Well, the, they prepared for the Passover meal. They probably started eating the Passover shortly after sundown. During that time, Jesus announced that he would be betrayed. This was a significant event. Then he introduced the Lord's Supper. He washed the disciples' feet. Then he introduced the Lord's Supper. He gave the messages found in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. All of those chapters are the messages he gave on that final night in the upper room or perhaps some of it out in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, they had the Last Supper. He went out and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was betrayed. He was taken into custody by the, the, uh, the, the Jewish guards, taken to the high priest where he was a sham trial. They found him guilty of blasphemy, threw him in a pit overnight. And by the way, if you go to Israel, you'd stand in the very pit that we believe Jesus spent that night, the last night of his life, spent there alone in this uh, pit in the in the uh, kind of like a prison there in the in the home of the high priest, and then uh, the next morning he was tried. So all this happened the evening, shall we say? We call it Thursday evening with us, but it was really Friday. It was the beginning of Friday, at sundown Thursday night. Thursday began Friday, the day of Friday. After that, of course, the next day after the night, you know, he was tried by Pilate found guilt, sent to Herod, so on, and, and um, crucified. But we want to talk about this first night. We'd call it, we th again, we think of Thursday night as technically Friday. What happened? You stop and think of the changes that Jesus instituted that very, very night. 
One of the first ones, I think, is he washed the disciples' feet. You know, you know the story. They'd come in, and it was time to—they were all reclining. They're supposed to be a foot washer. People didn't wear shoes then. They, they more often were to, were to wear sandals. Um, the, dirt, the roads were dirty. Part of protocol, because of the way they would sit, is to make sure everyone's feet were washed. It was a lowly job, a servant's job. And nobody was there to do it, and nobody wanted to do it. And Jesus arose from the table and girded himself as a servant and washed their feet. He set us an example of servant leadership. He talked about it. He demonstrated it. But this was the ultimate demonstration, of course, until the next day when he, as the, our, as the leader, would, would offer himself in death. But he set, a, he set an example. Remember, the disciples were arguing just you know, earlier in the week. Who's going to be able to sit at your right hand and left? Who's going to get the key spots? And Jesus set this radical example that leaders are to serve. Leaders are the foot washers. Leaders aren't the ones to be served. They're to be the ones serving. It turned it on its head, turned leadership on its head. It changed everything. No one thought of it in these terms before. This was something radical that Jesus gave us. And as leaders, I know I and the pastors I serve with, we want to follow this example. We want to see that true leadership is based in humility and serving. It's not based on how many people I've got under me. Rather, true leadership is how many people am I serving. You know, the second thing he changed, in John 13, 35, he gave a new commandment. A new commandment. The new commandment was this, as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. He said, um, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Now, he had taught before the great commandment to love your, uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But now Jesus was giving us a new commandment. What was new about this? Well, now he didn't say love as you love yourself. Rather, now he's saying love as I have loved you. See, Jesus loved us more than he loved himself. Jesus gave himself fully. Jesus laid down his life for us. He called us to us as Christians to a level of love that the world had never known. And we Christians now have a, a new ethic, a new standard. We're to love as Jesus loved, not just love as we would love ourselves. I've heard it said, you know, that there's, if there's a, a glass of water, to love as I love myself mean I give you half and I have half. To love as Jesus loved us said you can have the whole glass. Well, in spirit, I think that's what he's calling us to do, to love one another. It's an, it, it changed the world changed. A new commandment he gave us that night. He gave us a new, a new promise of the Holy Spirit. It was in this night that Jesus was promising that he, he announced to the disciples, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone. But the Spirit will come. And it's to your advantage that I go because now the Spirit of God will come and he will be with you and he will be in you and he'll be in you forever. This was a new promise. He'd spoken of it before. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon a person and could leave. But he was promising now the Spirit would come upon us and would never leave. He would actually indwell us. 
you and I have something as believers the Old Testament saints never had. This relationship with the Spirit of God actually living inside of us, dwelling in us, and dwelling in us forever. It, 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 what the fulfillment of that didn't happen until 40 days later at Pentecost. But the promise came on this night where Jesus said, I'm leaving, but don't worry. I'm going to send another helper, the Holy Spirit, and he'll be in you. And that changed everything, my friends. The Spirit of God living in you and me, it, it changes everything. And then finally, the night that the event that, dare I say, really, 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 really changed everything. Matthew 26, they'd gathered for the Passover. And the Passover, of course, as you know, was a celebration of the most significant event of the Old Testament. The Jews had been held, Israel had been held and, and were slaves 400 years in Egypt. And in one night, God delivered them. In one night, God delivered them. They were, they've gone through these 10 severe judgments upon the land. And, and now they were having the Passover. And this was the night God was going to deliver them. What was the Passover? He said, take a lamb, slay it, and you're going to eat the lamb. But you're going to take the lamb's blood and you're going to point, paint it on the doorpost outside your home. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over and not bring judgment to that house. This was the final judgment, the night in which the firstborn of all Egypt would die. But God, the angel of death, would not visit the homes where God saw the blood. And this event, this night of deliverance, when as a result of this, Pharaoh's get out of here, and he drove them out of Egypt, and God delivered them with a mighty, mighty hand. This night, the Jews, to this day, it is their most holy of days. It is the day they celebrate and remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Well, Jesus was celebrating the Passover, but he said something, and let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. What was Jesus doing here? He was instituting a new covenant. This was the last Passover. I know Jews continue to celebrate it today, but that's the old covenant. The, at this moment, Jesus was bringing a new covenant. In the, in the Passover, they would break the bread. And we break bread. And we do it now not in remembrance of deliverance from Egypt, we do it, we break the bread in remembrance of deliverance from, the old, from sin, we, of the new covenant, of the death of Jesus Christ. We proclaim his death on our behalf and our deliverance through his sacrificial death. We take the cup and we proclaim the blood of Christ shed for us. Now, this isn't literally, this doesn't, I mean, some people believe, does this turn into the blood of Christ? No, it's symbolic, obviously. It's like if I were to say, you know, this book, you know, this is my life. Well, it's not 
technically my, you know, biological life. It's symbolism. It's a, using a metaphor. And Jesus is saying this cup of the new covenant, this is my blood shed for you. This bread of the new covenant is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's not saying I'm dying again. I'm not being offered up again. But when you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you are remembering me, the new covenant. What changed that night? God's dealing with humanity. Prior to that night, we had the old covenant, the law. We are filled with all kinds of rituals, all kinds of requirements, all kinds of uh, sanctions and so on about how to worship God. When Jesus brought the new covenant in his blood and announced that night, the new covenant. Now we are accepted by God, not by the works we perform, but by what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. I suppose technically did the new covenant happen when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper? Did it happen when he died on the cross and the veil in the temple was torn? Um, probably that would be more accurate, but Jesus instituted and announced the new covenant. What changed is the way God would deal with humanity that night, at that time. I hope you regularly remember Jesus in the Lord's Supper, communion, the breaking of bread, which goes by different names. I hope you never become bored of it. I hope it never becomes commonplace for you. I hope it never be, you know, I, I mean, I've taken communion, shall we say, probably thousands of times. I hope it's never for you and, and for me, it never becomes commonplace. This is the most significant event. The new covenant, how God is no longer dealing with us, keep the law, keep the law, but God has written this law in our hearts. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. God hasn't delivered us from Egypt. He's delivered us from the slavery of sin. What an awesome, awesome thing occurred that night. And Jesus was about to, he, he announced it. He was about to go uh, secure it. And you and I are the beneficiaries of it. We have a new covenant, my friends. We're not under that law. We're under the grace of God. We are forgiven. We're cleansed. We have standing with God because of the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us. And just as God, in that Old Testament picture, when he would see the blood on the doorposts of the Jews' homes, he passed over and did not bring judgment. When God sees you and I under the blood of Christ, he'll pass over us, and you and I will not endure that judgment for our sin. We'll be cleansed, we'll be forgiven, we're safe because of the blood of Christ. What an amazing, amazing day we remember today. What an amazing night we remember on this Thursday in the week that changed the world. Father, we bless you today. We thank you for the, the amazing life of Jesus Christ. How powerful, how significant. What happened in that upper room that night, when there, who knows how many, there maybe just 12, maybe a few others were present for dinner that night, but what happened that night it changed everything. It went from the old covenant to the new.
how you would deal with humanity, it changed. You brought a new way, a new covenant. We thank you. Jesus, you, you gave us new servant leadership. You announced a new standard of love. You did that. You brought us things, Lord. You announced the, the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in us. Wow, all within just a few hours, how the disciples' minds must have been, must have blown their minds, all that was happening in this climactic night in the history of the world. Jesus, we look back to that night. We acknowledge you as the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ, the Savior of mankind. We do, Lord, when we take of the Lord's Supper, we do acknowledge that when we take of that bread, we remember Jesus Christ, your body broken for us, broken upon that cross, beaten, beaten down. You paid an awesome price for our salvation, Jesus. We are grateful. We're grateful for what you did. We remember, Jesus, when we take of the cup, we remember your blood shed for us. We do it in remembrance of you. We do it reminding ourselves that it took the life of Christ, it took the shed blood to cleanse us of our sins. What a mighty price you paid. Jesus, we thank you for how that night you served, you loved. We thank you for how you agonized in the garden. Jesus, you are the perfect example of submission when it was difficult and in your humanity, you cried out to the Father, Oh God, if there's any way, take this cup away from me. But because there was no other way, you drank the cup, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of suffering. You drank it fully for our salvation. We're grateful. Oh God, might our hearts never Lord, we celebrate this every year. We think about it often. might never become commonplace. Lord, let your death for us, let your sacrifice for us, let the agony of Gethsemane, let the, the, the power of remembering you in the Lord's Supper, let all these things deeply impact our lives. Again, as we've prayed before, when we consider all that you gave for us, Lord, what anything we'd give back would just seem so small by comparison. But we'd ask, help us, Lord, that the way we live, what we live for would be worth you dying for. The, might we, as we consider these events, the servant leadership, the love you show, the, the death you poured out, the Gethsemane, the betrayal you experienced, the betrayal you experienced, and yet you never, ever turned back. You could have, but you never turned back. You could have given up. We want to thank you that you didn't. And we pray we would draw inspiration from you to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to show the love and devotion to you that you have shown to us. We love only because you first loved us. It doesn't spring from us, Lord. It's our response to you. And today, Lord, might we respond with a whole heart. We bless you. We thank you for this holy week, the week that changed the world. We thank you for this holy day that we can remember. I pray that around the world, as people remember Jesus today, all over the world, 
the events of that upper room that night, they're remembered all over the world. And we pray that people would have a genuine experience. If, those have, if they only have religion but have not truly been born again, we pray that they would be. That people would experience you and know you in a deep, personal way. Lord, we're asking for revival in our land, in our world. The world seems like it's become so indifferent towards you, so hard-hearted. Lord, somehow we, we come to you and we just ask you to work miracles among us and through us in our land to bring, bring people to repentance. Might this be a day? Might this be a week? Lord, in the midst of this pandemic and lockdowns and all these things, might this be a time in a week that people truly think of you and we see a turn in the hearts of multitudes of people for your glory. We ask this now in Jesus' name and give you praise and glory. Amen. Amen. And thank you for joining me. Isn't that awesome? What an awesome God we serve. What a night. Again, I'm often impressed with Jesus. He was, you know, you've, a lot of ways he wasn't famous. It's prime, you know, he wasn't highly educated. He wasn't a general. He wasn't a political leader. He wasn't a business leader. He wasn't wealthy. His credential was himself. His credential was what he did for others. He was, known, he was a man known for his goodness, his good works, his good teaching. His teaching changed the world. He laid down his life and he rose again. The world's never been the same. The next few days, I think, are going to be pretty neat what we talk about here because we really get into the resurrection. And the resurrection, if I've preached about anything on campus through the years, it's been the resurrection of Christ. And so I look forward to sharing these things. I look forward to you joining me back over the next few days as we remember the week that changed the world. Thanks for being with me. Help spread the word. Tell your friends. Post on social media. Uh, make sure you hit the notify, uh, subscribe, notify, and like buttons. And make sure you've not subscribed to my email newsletter at tomthepreacher.com. You do. And by the way, if you're really enjoying these discussions we're having on the life of Christ, this is just a taste of what we talk about when we go to Israel. We'll be going to Israel, Lord willing next uh, February. It'll be my fourth trip there, and we teach on the life of Christ. And so some of these things that we rush through here in 15 minutes, we really take time in the Garden of Gethsemane to talk about what happened there, uh, in the upper room to talk about what happened there. We visit these actual places and teach on the life of Christ in the, in the locations where they happened. It's a powerful time. If you've never been to Israel or if you would like to go again, uh, go to my website, tomthepreacher.com, Check out the, click in the upper right corner of the, about Israel and uh, consider joining us. It'd be a wonderful, wonderful time for you and we'd love to have you along. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m. right here.